You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey, and welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. Today, I am sitting down with Dr. Justin Turnus. He is a doctor of physical therapy, mental emotional health coach, breathwork facilitator, and human performance optimizer. His work is centered on three main pillars, psychophysiology, pain science, and breathwork. Dr. Turnus is passionate about helping every patient and client address their physical and or emotional pain, distress, and life limitations in order to find long-term health and fulfilling quality of life. In his spare time, he studies and practices a variety of mind-body approaches so he can continually learn new ways to help patients holistically create physical and mental resiliency. He regularly hosts men's mental and social health workshops, as well as holistic breathwork retreats. Residing in San Diego, California, one of my favorite cities ever, Justin is a nature lover, community builder, and passionate teacher of his work. So welcome to the show. So great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that you are enjoying um better weather than than we are in Texas. It's been real rainy and real gloomy and <laughs> weird. But um I do love San Diego. My grandma lived there a long time ago and I love it. It's the best city. It's amazing. And I, I'm from Arkansas okay. originally. So yeah. The transition to San Diego is pretty easy because it's summer all the time. Like it's late November right now and 70 degrees and sunny. And so um, no complaints here. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. Well, let's get to talking. I kind of want to know how you got into what you're doing now. I'm, I really want to talk quite a bit about breath work because I'm fascinated by it and we've never really covered it in detail on this show, but um, where did you start merging all of these interests? Great. So um, as you mentioned in my uh, wonderful bio, um, I'm a doctor of physical therapy, and so in my uh, postgraduate studies, I really focused a lot on the art of physical therapy, movement, um, mobility, stability, and the principles of physical therapy. Um, and as I transitioned from being a student into the client space and, and the uh, profession, I noticed that there was a component of stress that contributed to pain and injury. And at that same time, I started and discovered breathwork through Wim Hof method, who's fairly well known now, I would say really popular, uh, the Iceman. Um, so I discovered and stumbled across Wim Hof method at the same time as I was beginning my work with patients and Separate from Wim Hof, there's a lot of talk of breathwork and postural um, uh, components in physical therapy and in health and performance. And there's a strong correlation of lung capacity and overall health. So that framework of understanding of the importance of breath was there. And then I heard Wim Hof who provided this different technique, which is more of a hyperventilation. (sighs) Exhale holding type practice that really tapped into the nervous system in a way that I wasn't previously familiar with. And that in itself 
gave me a, a much greater understanding of the impact that breath can have if you were to use it in a new way or a different way and use it properly. And so um, right as I started to work with patience is whenever everything started to blend together because I was taking what I was practicing on my own for my own physical, mental health and wellness and brought it into uh, the professional practice. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about breath work then. And how does our breath contribute to nervous system regulation or dysregulation? Of course. I love it. Breath 101. Um, we, we inhale oxygen, fill up our lungs, and then we exhale CO2. Oxygen is the energy molecule. Um, a friend of mine who's also a breath nerd said that every cell in our body is a lung. So whenever you breathe into mm. your lungs, the oxygen is moving through your bloodstream into every cell of your body where that is created and producing heat and energy. So, so energy, it, our respiration, our respiratory system, our breathing is the primary source of energy for our being for a whole body. Um, and so as we inhale, we pull in the oxygen, we utilize it. And then the byproduct is energy and CO2, carbon dioxide, um, also like water, liquid, um, moisture. And so the act of breathing in itself is ventilation, breathing in the act of the oxygen being used in our body for energy is respiration, the combination of two that's respiration. So, um, the breath is also um, deeply connected to the nervous system, the nervous system being sympathetic, fight or flight, and parasympathetic, calm. And this is where breathing in a certain way can influence our stress levels or our like, mm -hmm. presence, our ability to be focused or our ability to be dysregulated, like you mentioned. And so because our breath is one controlled by our conscious brain, but even more so controlled by our subconscious brain. We're constantly breathing. We're not having to think about breathing. So breathing is happening. And the breath that's just constantly happening is also in tune with our heart rate and our nervous system. So if you're stressed out chronically, you're probably breathing shallow and faster. Mm -hmm. And that's going to correlate with a increased resting heart rate. Um, and then if you are calm and relaxed, you're probably going to breathe longer and slower subconsciously, and that's going to have a lower resting heart rate, which typically means more efficient movement of blood and energy through your body. And so less stress, you're actually less um, inflamed. So the thing is, it's a subconscious continual practice that we're breathing, but we also can choose to... almost influence that nervous system through conscious breathing. When I breathe fast, my body doesn't know why I'm breathing fast. So it'll put me into this fight or flight sympathetic mode. And I will have reactions, physical or physiological reactions as if there might be some danger. And then mm -hmm. I calm down my breath in a controlled fashion. You hear about box breathing, three second inhale, hold for three, three second exhale, hold for three. It's a very popular way to 
slow your breathing pattern. And as you slow your breathing pattern, naturally your brain and your body's like, oh, I must be calm. Oh, I must be relaxed. Oh, okay, this feels good. Mm -hmm. And then you can be calm and relaxed. And then someone like sneezes and you freak out. You're like, oh. <laughs> or a train goes by and you have a body reaction to the external environment. So um, utilizing your breath. That's why I don't like I don't like box breathing in itself because if you're just trying and constantly trying to calm your body down through your breathing, everything's great, nice and calm. There's not a lot of stress resiliency and we're, mm. we need to respond to the external environment. So mm -hmm. that's why I like Wim Hof method and other methods where there is an active participation in the breathing and you're kind of pushing your breath pace. Like even right now, five breaths fast, and then slow for five breaths will make an impact. So if we were to do that together, it'd be five breaths fast like this. Five breaths and then you slow down. And so now you're actively slowing your breath and you're actively communicating through your breath to your mind and your body that, okay, I'm in control. I got this. Mm. I'm, I mean, I got this, like, so you're building this mind-body communication through breath. So oh, basic wow. breath 101 as I see it and understand it. And obviously we can extrapolate off of each of those points, but um, that's about as minimalist as I can. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that breakdown is so helpful for so many people. Now, before we get any further into this discussion, I want to take a second and thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Sleep Number. My sleep number is 40 and my sleep IQ score for this week was 85, which is pretty Good. Now, we all know that sleep is essential to your physical, mental, and emotional well-being. And for me, getting quality sleep is absolutely crucial for helping me to be the mom that I need to be. I have three kids. One of my kids still doesn't sleep that great every night. And so I get interrupted every now and again. And so my quality sleep with sleep number is so important and so helpful for me. The other thing that I haven't really talked about recently, and I've got to tell you guys about, is the zero G setting in my sleep number bed. This is like sitting in a cloud. On Sunday afternoons, I like to take my rest time. And what I do is I set my bed up in zero G and I take my book and I read in that setup for hours. And it is so cozy. A lot of times I find little visitors, my kids will get in there and bring books and they'll read with me as well. I love my sleep number bed. Now, there are definitely things that get in the way of a great night's sleep, aside from child visitors in the middle of the night. But one thing could be the mattress firmness or your sleep being too hot or too cold or your partner is too hot or too cold or your partner snores. Eight out of 10 couples prefer a different mattress firmness. And the Sleep Number Smart Bed lets you adjust the firmness on each side and change it whenever you'd like. My husband, he likes his Sleep Number to be 45 and mine is set at 40, so we get to individualize it for ourselves. Also, if you're sleeping too hot or too cold, you're not alone. Sleep Number has innovative solutions from temperature balancing bedding to the new Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively cools and warms on each side to keep you sleeping just right. If your partner's snoring, Sleep Number has a solution for that too. With a FlexFit smart adjustable base, you can gently raise your partner's head at the touch of a button to help alleviate snoring. And they probably won't even notice that you did it. 
As I mentioned, I love my sleep number bed, my husband loves my sleep number bed, and my kids love to hang out in my sleep number bed as well. Why choose proven quality sleep from Sleep Number? So you can be at your best for yourself and those you care about most. And now discover special offers for a limited time at your local Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com slash wholeness. That's sleepnumber.com slash wholeness. All right, now getting back to this breath conversation, what I found interesting about what you just shared is that, you know, through some of my own education and research and reading the book Breath, I have learned the importance of nasal breathing, but I noticed that you're inhaling through your mouth with that example that you just gave. So can you explain the difference between nasal and mouth breathing and the impact on the nervous system? Absolutely, yes. So you do notice that I am a breath instructor and then you hear and listen to read books and breath by James Nestor. And it's pretty clear and evident that nasal breathing is superior to mouth breathing. Like that's the takeaway, seal your mouth, keep your mouth shut, breathe through your nose for a more efficient um, ventilation system. Breath through the nose goes through your sinuses, breath through your nose um, activates nitric oxide. That's uh, a vasodilator and um, helps blood flow. Um, breath through your nose is moisturized in the sinus cavity. So the air into your lungs is a little bit more um, moist, not as dry. So there's all of these benefits, but you notice that I just demonstrated breathing through my mouth because mouth breathing naturally is more sympathetic in nature. It's more <laughs> Like if you're scared, you're not going to be scared and go, (laughs) (laughs) right. There's this, there's this natural connection between mouth breathing as a, um, emergency valve in case you can't breathe through your nose and, and breath through your mouth is less filtered, which means it's more quick to enter the lungs. So it's a faster Mm. inhale. And I do that with short-term breathwork practices like those five breaths because the purpose of those five breaths for me in that moment was to activate my nervous system stimulate my nervous system and then for the next five i'm slowing it down and breathing through my nose nose breathing nasal breathing is a more parasympathetic calming type breath so i'm actually playing with like the polarity of my nervous system if i were to i could do the same exact practice with my nose only and that's definitely going to stimulate my nervous system because i'm breathing in such a way in such a pacing Mm -hmm. and such um depth that it's going to stimulate my sympathetic nervous system but at the same time for me i don't pick and choose wim hof says whatever hole you can get it in breathe in Oh. breathe in okay do it do it and so again that's an acute temporary practice where i'm using my mouth to activate my nervous system mm-hmm. and right back to sealing lips shut breathing through my nose for the more efficient breathing pattern yeah okay no that makes a lot of sense because i i think you know for listeners who can't see this like they didn't get to see how you were doing it, but I think that that distinction is important. And I think for a lot of people, they've never heard that there's a difference between breathing through the nose and breathing through the mouth. Um, so how does that even impact our sleep, right? How many people are mouth breathing? Well, 
beautiful transition. Um, I, I sleep tape and I talk about sleep tape. Um, and I made a post recently about uh, just using the most basic um, sensitive skin, pain-free um, like next care tape and just cutting little strips um, <clears throat> and putting a small piece of tape over your mouth at night to encourage nasal breathing. Mm. It'll reduce snoring to no snoring at all. It'll reduce sleep apnea to almost no sleep apnea at all. It improves quality of sleep. Um, and then often too, when I've introduced it to people I work with and then offered that idea or suggestion of sleep taping, there's, uh, there's an adaptation to sleeping with your nose. If you're uh, maybe a chronic mouth breather at night, but often that little piece of tape, you wake up and it's nowhere near your mouth because at night you like grab it and rip it off. Right. <laughs> it takes like maybe a couple of nights of getting used to also people throw it on and they just instantly like love it and they feel like they slept way better. But again, you're not pinning your mouth down with tape to where you can't open it. It's, it's easy to come off, but that little bit of proprioceptive input from the tape will, you know, signal to your brain, okay, keep the mouth shut and then encourage nasal breathing. And even if your nose is slightly clogged and it's tough to breathe through your nose, Typically, if you push through that and just keep working with the amount of breath that is available, then your your body will get the picture and say, oh, okay, I, I'm going to need to breathe. And so there will be more of this opening of nasal breathing. And then obviously there's um, nose issues that will prevent that at all completely. So um, the practice of Breathing through your nose throughout the days, a wonderful practice for health and wellness. And it is a huge, there is a huge difference as is demonstrated in the book Breath by James Nestor. So um, yeah, I, I highly um, suggest and advocate sleep tape at night to encourage nasal breathing. So, um, and yeah. I practice. So. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because it is interesting how many people are waking up exhausted they're not breathing the right way and they're still stressed out <laughs> during yeah. sleep. So, so a, a, a nice like little shift of understanding of that is not oxygen deprived, but it's almost like oversaturated with oxygen. Mm. Um, uh, there's overeating and then there's over breathing, over breathing, mm. mouth breathing, over breathing. Uh -huh. You have plenty of oxygen. And, but whenever you exhale CO2, okay, this is going to get a little scientific. It's so good. Do it. Yeah. Um, there's something called the Bohr effect where there's this oxygen to carbon dioxide ratio in our blood and in our body. Again, carbon dioxide is the exhale, um, oxygen or exhale gas during respiration. So, when we breathe in, the oxygen goes into our lungs and then it jumps onto the hemoglobin red blood cells that goes through our through our body and is used. The oxygen is this then kicked off that red blood cell boat to be available used in the body for energy. And then often 
you have a lot of oxygen. So a lot of oxygen will just kind of cruise around. And whenever you exhale, you're also exhaling oxygen too. There's an abundance of it. Um, but carbon dioxide to get out of the body also jumps onto the hemoglobin. And there's not enough seats for both oxygen and carbon dioxide. So whenever you breathe through your nose, carbon dioxide goes up a little bit, which actually forces oxygen to be kicked off and used more efficiently in your body and your blood. So um, to bring it back to oxygen deprivation, really whenever you're over breathing, you're in carbon dioxide deprivation. You're, you're blowing off okay, yeah. oxide. And as you blow off too much carbon dioxide, the oxygen is not going to have any reason to jump off and be used as energy. And you're going to be like overly saturated with oxygen. And then your body's like, Oh, I don't really need that oxygen. Oh, okay. And it, it, your body almost gets lazy with the oxygen. It's like, Oh, I have so much. Why would I even, Oh, I don't need to try hard for it, but we need our body to try hard for the oxygen because that's what creates more oxygen exchange that's what creates more heat that's what creates more energy that's why in naturally breathing through your nose you're almost creating this intra bodily pressure that creates more heat to be produced which gives you more sustainable energy throughout the day so there's my little science lesson no that's super helpful and even so then okay is this why having a lower breath rate is better than having a higher breath rate. Yes. Yeah. And, and one more analogy, um, you have a car and the engine's turned on. It's got the exhaust valve out the back. Naturally, as the engine's moving, it's creating heat. Imagine you take a potato and pump it in that exhaust pipe in the back the engine is going to heat up and heat up and heat up and maybe overheat. So if you're not breathing, then your body's going to have a stress response and be like, oh, I need to breathe. Now, if you had an engine that was so open in the exhaust pipe that there would almost be like nothing for the engine to push back on, then it's not going to heat up enough and it's not going to create enough energy for you to move. And so you almost want that restriction. And so in slow breathing, to answer your question, you're, you're limiting that over breathing from taking place. And you're, you're limiting that amount of carbon dioxide that you exhale, that you release almost too much and too fast which is going to create this internal heat and energy um, system that will just continue to work more efficiently again. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that that's super interesting. That makes sense. Now, how does this play a role even in, um, so you're talking about heart rate being lower and that's helpful. And then breath rate and how that's helpful. What about like heart rate variability? What's the impact on heart rate variability? Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I had a mentor and I still have a mentor. His name is Brian McKenzie. Really love his work, um, obviously, because I see him as my, he's my mentor. And um, he goes, 
all the research on heart rate variability is trash. Don't even listen to it. Really? <laughs> and, so I, and and so I I don't really give a lot to that. Okay. And I don't have I don't know of the correlation, so I can't speak into it. And not not yeah. that it's not valid, um, but I'm not one to speak to heart rate variability. And also, I'm I'm very um, and this might link us into some other stuff, but I'm very um body based and feeling based. I'm very mm-hmm. like mindfulness practiced. And so a lot of me trying to understand more about how I'm feeling comes from personal, like feeling within myself mm-hmm. versus looking at um, like my whoop band. Right. <laughs> like I don't have an aura ring or any of that. And a lot mm-hmm. of people are surprised, but I'm not really objective um, measurement based by nature. Uh, and so with heart rate variability, that's a very like objective, like data collected. Yeah. Look at my heart rate variability throughout the day type world that I don't fully live in. So, uh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, no, because I mean, that is popular. Those all those tracking devices you mentioned, I mean, that's what people are looking at to determine mm-hmm. how healthy they are. But we do have intuition, like mm-hmm. you're alluding to, um, mm-hmm. and we can tune into our own bodies to kind of give us an indication of how healthy we are. So let's transition to that. How, how does one do that? Mm -hmm. Well, bringing breath into mind, um, you can naturally feel your breath enter your lungs and your rib cage. If you are listening, take a deep breath in and you can feel your rib cage expand. You can feel the breath come out of the, the nasal cavities you can take another long breath in. Maybe you feel your shoulders lifting up. And then this breath awareness provides a link to your body awareness. Um, and in our body, we store senses and sensations, uh, not just in the physical, like external muscular um, space with pain and temperature, but also interoception. So interoception is the feeling of um, what's going on inside that is your ability to feel and pause and feel your heart rate or your heartbeat or feel the fact that you can't connect to your heartbeat. And then you're like, Oh crap, what's going on? Where is that? So interoception is also a form of body awareness, which just like the whoop band and the aura rings give you data and then you take the data and you decipher and you're like, okay, you collect all this data and you're like, okay, according to all this, all these data points, my body's in a um, rested state and I may be ready to do a run today or I'm in a calm state or, oh, my body's super stressed out. I didn't sleep well in this, so I should maybe take a rest day. You're taking these data points from technology that gives you enough information to make a knowledgeable decision. Um, same thing can happen with proprioception, body awareness, interoception. Okay. I'm noticing that my breath is a little bit upper in my upper chest. I'm breathing at a higher rate. My respiratory rates up. Oh, my heart rates faint and quick. Okay. Now, um, Oh, I feel pain in my feet and, Oh, I have cold hands. Like these pieces of information of the body can also provide um, for me personally enough framework to, to really understand, okay, I'm in a 
rested state. Oh, my nervous system's overactivated. Um, and I think even better than the technology, because I think technology is just trying to mimic what our body naturally does. So our body's already naturally doing it. And the technology is like, oh, hey, let's take what the body does and then put it on a screen and then record it. But in for me, in listening to my body, I skipped the step of looking outside my body, looking on the phone, seeing that I need to, I'm ready to like feel good to go run. And then I'm like, okay, cool. I'm gonna go for a run. I'm just like, oh, I feel like I'm good for a run. Let's go. And, and I'm just in a, in a connection with body. So I use breath. I think too, to get to that level of awareness, it's like, here's another thing. It's like emotional and intelligence and emotional awareness is different emotional awareness is taking in all the points of information emotional intelligence is taking that data and piecing it together to where you can make a shift or a change same thing body awareness and then body intelligence are are hmm. of the same vein and so for me i feel like i'm i've been practicing and building my capacity to feel my body. I do a lot of breath work and meditation. And so I think there's literal parts of your brain that are more geared towards feeling the body. And so um, at the very beginning, when I'm working with someone and getting them more in tune and familiar with checking in with their body, it is basic. It's as basic as, okay, what are you feeling? How's your breath? Take a breath, feel your breath. How are you sitting in your chair? Can you feel the pressure of your um, body through the seat? These little basic points of reference for body awareness uh, really can bridge and open up a, a whole world of self-awareness and understanding. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really good, but it's also very um, not what we've been taught growing up and mm -hmm. So I talk a lot about this and go with me here, but I do talk about a lot of this with my female clients as it relates to our menstrual cycle, right? Because women are taught to just pop, you know, push through and, you know, go through life, no matter what phase you're in, but your body's doing very different things throughout the month. And you need to listen and slow down. If you need to slow down, your body's working hard for you, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So I do a lot of that with women. It's mm -hmm. important. It's necessary because we are so not connected with our bodies because we see our bodies as being a problem and an issue and something to suppress, right. Or a, yeah, a problem to suppress for men though, you mm -hmm. work a lot with men and their mental health. Men are extreme. I'm going to generalize. I will generalize. And Please. I'm going to say that men are disconnected from their feelings based on cultural, whatever. Can you speak to that and how you work with that? Absolutely. I would say that men are disconnected to their feelings and deeply connected to their stress. Oh, that's good. But guess what? There's no difference between stress and feelings. They're one and the same. Yeah. So when I'm working with men, I don't use the word emotion off the bat. Eventually I integrate it in, but I'm like, I'm like, all right, I'll do men's, I'll lead men's groups, um, in person, online, um, I do workshops for, for dudes just to connect. And really for me, I think of it as a, like a teaching space and a connection space. And, um, a lot of men come from like team backgrounds and connection. Like we're just social beings by nature, but I think too, in this day and age, 
men don't have the space to flex that and, and mm-hmm. engage in that social health type um, realm. Um, I worked with a group doing men's group and they called men's groups the CrossFit for emotions. It's like you're going in and you're getting, <laughs> you're, you're connecting. So it's like a CrossFit for connection, you know, and um, I'll, I'll ask a room, say I'll do a workshop and I'll ask a room right off the bat. Okay. Who in here is feeling emotional? Like who's got emotions? Who's got shit going on? And it's like quarter, maybe people half raise their hand. And I'm like, okay. I'm like who in here is stressed? Everyone's hand goes up. I'm like, great. Okay. We're all stressed. Where is your stress? What, what, like, come on, throw me some like levels. Where are you feeling stressed? Oh, my chest, fuck, on my shoulders, my low back, oh, man. Okay, great. What feeling is in there? Man, I feel overwhelmed. I feel anxious. I feel guilty. And there you go. It's like, okay, guess what? Your stress is your feelings are your emotions. We just need to mm-hmm. get rid of the word, the previous understanding of what the hell emotions are and just return to the actual understandings and definition of what emotions are, which is energy in our body. It is a natural part of the human condition. There are positive emotions, negative positive does not mean good emotions negative does not mean bad it's just how the emotions impact like our energy Mm -hmm. these negative emotions sadness uh grief guilt they have this negative like pulling down energetic quality but they're not bad they don't feel good but they're necessary and you must go into that and sometimes to go into that you need to have someone holding your hand and saying hey it's okay breathe and as you go into those negative feelings voluntarily, guess what? A natural breath lifts you up. And then you're like, okay, you're a little bit more neutral. You're not suppressing going down and you're not fighting yourself and holding yourself up. And the same thing goes with the positives. You have a positive emotion. Those positive emotions bring a little bit more lift in your inhale. There's a little bit more openness Often we're afraid of like showing off or being cocky. And mm-hmm. so we have these pride, like pride's a beautiful, positive emotion that comes up whenever you're feeling prideful of something proud. It's like the victorious runner, you know, puts his arms out. Football athletes, after a touchdown, they celebrate. They're like really expressing in this positive energy. But if you have an aversion to that, and you, your body wants to express, and you're like, oh, no, now you're fighting against yourself. And there's another limitation. So um, speaking about emotions as energies in the body and, and just providing that framework instantly opens up guys into being like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, okay, yeah, I got, I got emotion. I guess I got emotions. <laughs> I yeah. Got emotions you know, and it's like, um, so – I think I answered your question, but yeah, no, it was great. Yeah, no. And I, this is something I wish I should have just had my husband interview you for this episode because y'all could go on and on about this. He's a counselor and he's really big on trying to get people to identify emotions in their physical bodies, because Mm -hmm. sometimes that's easier for people than to just like, look at a feelings wheel and be like, well, I think my brain is feeling this way, but we do feel a lot of things in our physical body. And I'd be interested to know, even from your perspective, looking at yeah, chronic pain and, um, 
working out and injuries or people that are chronically injuring themselves, like the same spot over and over again, how much is that having to do with unmanaged, mismanaged stress and negative emotions? Oh yeah. We could talk for another hour on this. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm doing a, um, so in addition to my DPT, doctor physical therapy, after um, completion of my doctorate and going into the, the field of work, there's a requirement to do continuing education. Mm -hmm. My continuing education just naturally fell into chronic pain, pain science, psychophysiology, psychophysiological uh, mm -hmm. disorders. And so I did go into the psychology realm of pain. And um, there's a psychiatrist named Alan Abbas. He's up in Canada um, and he's a psychophysiological disorder specialist. He has a book called Reaching Through Resistance. Um, and he, he, I'm actually doing a three-day um, like immersion with him. Cool tomorrow so i'm going to get another nice <laughs> of seeing how um our emotions influence our body and our behavior and so there's such a strong connection between um pain and energy and breath and emotion that really with education in itself you can almost understand why you feel a certain way. And then once you understand why you feel a certain way, then the stress of that sensation maybe lifts slightly. And then in that lifting, you feel better. So in education, there's all like an automatic, like positive influence that comes. So a lot of the times I work with people, I work with them like maybe four times total. And I don't do any hands-on physical therapy. We just do discussion and understanding and awareness and that really takes a stress load off and creates more muscular freedom and less physical tension mm -hmm. and then typically from there um, there's an opportunity to work with a more traditional physical therapist doing exercises with less stress on their their mind body but um there's there again so many different angles but there's so many interconnections between pain, perception of pain, energy, emotion, breath, nervous system. Um, and last point is there's a form of uh, physical therapy practice theory called biopsychosocial, which means that all pain is biological, psychological, and social. It all has we, I get a pinch in my arm and it's not just merely a physical biological pinch. It's a pinch that moves through my body into my brain to be processed, to be understood what the hell that was. Mm -hmm. And that pinch as it's connecting and moving through my brain, neocortex naturally connects with past memories, past traumas, past experiences, which can almost skew my version of this pinch hmm. this pinch of myself into a, <gasps> much bigger thing but in reality that's why i like breath work because that helps clear stress so you can see more clearly what's happening mm -hmm. in the whole external environment around you 
Yeah. Yeah. That I am so on board with that. My summer reading this last summer was uh, the biology of belief by Bruce Lipton. If you're familiar with that. And it's, I mean, I never really cared that much about cells until I read this book (laughs) because of that connection. I mean, it is so like what you just explained and say that again, what it's called, where the bio biopsychosocial biopsychosocial. Okay. Because that is a whole rabbit hole that I have been digging into recently. And I, I love that. Yeah. So, um, uh, a colleague of mine, her name is Dr. Rachel Zoffness. She's a pain psychologist out of Stanford. Um, she's brilliant on that topic and very passionate. So highly recommend I'll send you some, mm. um, uh, links to some of her yeah. podcasts. She's great to listen to. Um, but yeah, biopsychosocial. And then for me, I'm like, but really it's like biopsychosocial, spiritual. Um, so uh, like, um, there's so many different layers too. It's not, mm-hmm. that's just like a, a three term catchy way to really speak into the fact that pain is everything. And here's a quick um, example is, well, a frequent thing that comes to my presence when I'm working with someone who with pain or maybe persistent pain or a, psychophysiological pain or discomfort or issue there's a focus or a searching for that one thing that's like causing it Mm. i see that to be uh, a a tricky and a negative way to approach solving pain because it's not usually one thing that caused the pain it's plethora of things that cause the pain so even in just helping someone take the narrow focus on okay what's going on what happened to me what is what 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 it's like well let's zoom out open up and say what are the things that are contributing to this pain and then how can i like start to work on multiple things versus hammering on one Mm -hmm. and then going the wrong way and then getting frustrated because you thought and you felt like that was really the thing that what it was and then you started going to acupuncture and you get acupuncture because it's a stress related thing and it is stress related but it's also probably posturally related or physical health related or nutritionally related or sleep (laughs) related and so um having that framework is a great way to really broaden and zoom out and and also in that zooming out, there's typically some like self-compassion and calming and yeah. stress relief. So, yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up. That's so interesting. I was just explaining just last night, I was talking to my husband about my pain tolerance and I believe I have very low pain tolerance, but the reason I have low pain tolerance is because I don't like feeling helpless or feeling out of control. So if I'm at the dentist, I'm going to think that things hurt that don't actually hurt, but they hurt because I'm not in control of what's happening to me. (laughs) So it's like my brain telling my body, let's freak out right now. So that, I mean, that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. 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 And, and at the same time, our brain is a thinking and predicting organ. It's trying to keep us safe. Yeah. And it doesn't really know, but it's got sometimes a pretty clear like line but it's it's a whole there's a whole world of um uh interest in in brain science pain science and 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 trying to be better at understanding it but yeah those who have high pain tolerance i'm like oh yeah i have a high pain tolerance i can handle pain well guess what you're probably not listening to your body in a subtle way that's gonna maybe that's true 
feeling. I have a low pain tolerance because I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, not entrusting of things around me. And so uh. on each side of the coin, there's an opportunity to, to improve. Um, yeah. That is, that's interesting. Yeah. That that's, I'm so fascinated by all the brain things and all, and even how it relates to pain that that's just stuff I've never thought about before. Well, well, I mean, I'll bring it back to breath one more time is that often whenever, well, one pain sucks and pain hurts and it doesn't feel good. And it's also like, it lives in the body. Mm. So whenever pain hurts and it's in the body and we don't like it, there's a tendency to disassociate. And so often whenever I do breath work with individuals, the breath naturally brings us into our bodies which amplifies pain experience. It's almost like, oh, I don't want to breathe. I don't want to be aware of my body, not just physical pain, but emotional pain. You breathe and then you're connecting to that guilt and you're like, shit, I don't want to look at this. That hurts. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Oof. but in the temporary rise of pain, as you face it through like breathing and increasing your body awareness and then actually having everything like open up and come up, you're also giving that space to clear out and release. So then you can return into your body and be more comfortable in your body and you're not disassociating, disconnecting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It might suck on the short term temporary to like go into your pain and feel the physical nature of what's happening and, or the emotional pain of what's happening. But again, as you go into those negative feelings, Balance will always prevail, which will bring you up into a more regulated nervous system. Yeah, that's, that's, I love that. And that does bring us full circle. So the last thing I'm going to ask you that I love to ask the name of the show is sparking wholeness. So if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? Mm. I've been hearing generosity and gifting and giving is, is, probably one of the best ways to spark wholeness within itself. So being generous and gifting, um, especially in the holiday season. So uh, first thing comes to mind is doing acts of service for others. And then at the same time to be whole, part of that is taking care of yourself and gifting to yourself. So I'll bring in breath once more. Taking bigger breaths is also bringing in wholeness to your physical body, energy body. So gift yourself with breath, gift others with that energy that you create from uh, a whole self being. So, yeah, Yeah, I love that. That's great. So um, share your Instagram link, your other social media, if you have it and how people can follow contact you, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, True self health is my business. Instagram is true self health. One word. My website is www.com trueself.health so no.com just dot health and um you can find me there that's I, i'm an open book i love talking about this stuff um i also like um challenging my line of thinking and evolving my line of thinking and so um given that i'm very open with my line of thinking in this moment because i know in a couple of months it'll shift a little bit more one way or the other so um mm-hmm happy to support all that are listening. Um, also in my, um, through my website is my online men's group, which is a monthly membership, uh, where you can join, um, Tuesday groups, 
there's a group on Monday, there's a group on Thursday, uh, just to get curious, hold space and do work. And I'm, I'm coming out with some breath work videos and content as well. So stay tuned. That's, that's awesome. I love that you are doing work with men's mental health and awareness, creating awareness about that. Cause it's, there's such a need for that right now. I mean, there's a need for so much mental health support, but definitely with men, I, I know that for sure. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for taking the time to show up and, and share all of these fascinating new things that we're learning about breath. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.